Quick question for you. Are you a Federal Access member yet? If you're a government contractor, you need a Federal Access account. You can get started today with a free membership. Just visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Free members get access to about 20 documents and templates as well as our video training playbooks. More importantly, this gets you in the RSM Federal ecosystem and makes you part of our community. So go grab your free account today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors and we have another exciting episode for you. Today I've got Jenny Clark, the CEO of Solvability with me and we're going to be talking about the GovCon Small Business Growth Model. But before we jump into that, Jenny, first off, welcome to the show. Why don't you take a minute to tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do over there at Solvability. Well, thank you, Michael. At Solvability, we focus on helping small businesses that are in federal contracting with scalability, setting up the systems they need to survive. And it's more about business operations and how to have a bulletproof back office than it is anything else. So I've been working in federal contracting since the late 80s, learned some of the information that I started with at Boeing and then realized it wasn't Boeing's rules. These are actually rules that are used by federal contracting. And my focus is really on DCAA compliance and all of the systems and reporting that you need to be successful as a government contractor. Oh, that's good stuff there. And I love how you started off talking about scalability. That's actually what uh, Josh and I were talking about this morning. All these companies that just don't understand how to scale. Because we see a lot of companies that they they come out, they, they're successful in the first few years. They're growing and they just, they start a plateau and they, they can't figure out how to get past their 2 million mark, their 5 million mark, their 10 million mark. There's, there's always a mark somewhere and we are seeing a lot of companies in the 40 to 60 million range that are kind of plateauing at that range and can't figure out how to get past. How do we scale past this? And I think this is going to be great for uh, our topic today. Now, before we jump into that, I also want to plug your podcast because you have a podcast as well. Uh, why don't you tell folks a little bit about your podcast? So like podcast I did for, I guess I've got 52 episodes and I finally just put it on my website, which is solvability.com. Mm-hmm. There's a podcast tab. The reason I did it is because there's so much information that small businesses getting started in federal contracting need to understand. And I would love to be able to give them an MBA in accounting for government contracting. But most of the people that start in the federal contracting business that I run into are actually veterans that have served for 20 years or so, gotten out, gone to work for another federal contracting, maybe a large defense contracting company. And after about a year or two, they go, I could do this myself and I'd do a better job. And so what I did is it was almost like when I started my podcast, I wanted to create a way that I could give them the basic understanding that they needed to have to do government contracting from an accounting standpoint and use the terminology that their government customers are expecting them to understand, like direct cost, indirect cost, fringe, overhead, G&A, because these things take a lot to learn and you don't want to be in a meeting where they're asking you, what are your billing rates? And you're like, uh, I don't know. 
Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, it's on my website at solvability.com. The reason I think podcasts are so important these days is because we have to learn ways to learn faster. I love listening to podcasts when I'm out um, driving around or I'm riding my bike or I'm walking because that's usually going to be 30 minutes to an hour. And I think the typical great podcast is about 30 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's great. And I like how you said that, you know, there, there, I run into so many companies that they were in government contracting. They maybe it's for a year or two and they see a lot of problems in the company they're working for. And they have that exact same thought you were talking about there where I could do this better. And, but they don't know all of the ins and outs, all of the little things, you know, they don't know what their billing rates are. They don't know what their wrap rates are. They don't, they don't even know what that is. Right. And they jump in and here's why a lot of them jump in. And, the, and I was talking to somebody the other day and he was like, man, you just described exactly how I got in the business. They're working for a customer that, and either that customer or another one says, you know, if you were doing this on your own, we'd totally hire you. And, you know, they, they have some sort of inside track into their first customer. And so they quit their job. They go get their first customer. It's a slam dunk. It's so easy. But they didn't even have a strategy for how to get customers. And now they have one and they think they have a business and they don't. They have the start of something, but there there's so many gaps there that they need to to fill in. So I, I I see that all the time and I do agree with you. I think, you know, from a podcasting perspective and education perspective, it's so easy to just plug this in in your car, plug it in while you're getting dressed for work, you know, whatever it may be, and just educate yourself. And I like, you know, a lot of people would say, well, why are you recommending other people's podcasts in this? It's because we all have a little bit different perspective or a little bit different information. You know, I, I don't have the accounting background that you do. So there's going to be a lot of that, you know, you know, pieces to it that you're going to bring in. And then just to hear it from different people, because I think a lot of us are kind of beating the same drum a lot of times. And it's just great when three or four of us out there in the podcasting community are saying the same stuff. I think it just adds a lot of validity to what we're saying and what we're doing. So I, I'm very thankful that you have your podcast and you're out there kind of preaching these messages as well. So good, good for you guys. I appreciate it. So, well, I really appreciate what you're saying, Michael. And it's like there needs to be a body of knowledge around mm -hmm. government contracting for these small businesses because there's so much bad information yeah. and missing information. And I hate to hear that a small business lost a bid because they didn't format the proposal right mm. or they didn't understand that question. And I feel like that working with you and Josh, we're really trying to educate this federal contracting community on what they need to do better. And we know that the companies that we're working with have a heart to serve that customer and we want to make it possible for them to do it successfully. Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. And you know, there's a lot of times the difference between winning and losing is something so small and it's something so basic and it's, it's not even anyone's fault that they just didn't know. And so yes. anytime we can, in, you know, introduce a new concept, teach them a little something, it, it's, it's so, to me, it's so amazing to see how even these little bitty things that we teach, I'll get emails from people that say, you know, we just did what you said in this podcast and we couldn't believe it worked. I'm like, we knew it worked because we've seen it happen in hundreds or even thousands of clients, but they didn't even know the strategy existed. 
And so, you know, it's just so powerful, you know, it's, and it's a free resource. All the podcasts are free and it's just so amazing to see something touching all of these lives. You know, we're veterans. Josh is a disabled veteran. Uh, a lot of people in the community are veterans. And so just to see that community kind of thriving, I know that's a little off topic, but to see this community thriving because of some podcasts and some other information that we're doing, it, it really makes it worth it, you know, to do all this stuff. So so really good. Well, if stuff. you think about it, the other reason I feel like I like working with veterans is because I know when they're successful, they'll be hiring other veterans. Yeah. And that really contributes to the growth of everything we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, if they can't figure out how to do their business, they're just going to shut down in a couple of years. So if we can help them stay in business, you're exactly right. They're going to start hiring more people, veterans and other folks. And it just it contributes to everything. So it's so good, good stuff. I like talking about this. So I could talk about it all day and not even get to our topic. But why don't you jump in and tell me a little bit about the, the GovCon small business growth model? Because I've seen a little bit about this and it makes so much sense. So instead of me trying to steal the thunder, why don't you give us an overview and then we'll dive in and talk about some of the pieces of it. Well, thank you so much. So the GovCon small business growth model is something I came up with from some conversations with other people that is, have successfully run small businesses. And I always tell people that a small business is one thing, but a small business in federal contracting is something totally else because the federal contracting market is really backwards. You have to find a way to slide what you do into the requirement of a government customer. Yeah. You're really not selling to the government. You're finding the government a way to buy from you. And there's so many other people they could buy from. And if you don't have the strategy and understanding, you're not going to be able to get there. Yeah. So Josh has helped me out the last couple of um, events that I've done. Last year, we did the Florida GovCon Summit in uh, March of 2019. And he'll be coming back with his book in March 2020. And what we talk about, what I talk about, what Josh talks about is, hey, you got to know where you are and where you're going. Yeah. So when I started planning for the GovCon summits, which are really just a national small business conference focused on the business of government contracting, every time I would talk to a small business about, I'm putting on this conference, I'd love to have you come. They'd say, well, Jenny, what is it about? How do I know it will help me? And of course I look at it and say, well, obviously it's going to help you because I've got a team of experts that's going to talk to you about your different strategies. But as you said earlier, Michael, they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. So how would they know that a bunch of us would have the right answers? Right. What they started talking to me about is they really used words like I need a roadmap. Mm -hmm. I need to know my next steps. I need to know how to do this. Could I talk to somebody else that's been there and accomplished that? Could you do it in terms of life cycle? What size companies are you talking to, Jenny? And what size companies are you helping with these strategies? And what it occurred to me was that I created basically seven levels of this GovCon small business growth model. Level one is startup. I love working with startups, but startups can't afford my services and I can't really afford to work with, with those startups because they need to learn a certain amount on their own and they need to use this 
fabulous resource that we have that's free to them called Procurement Technical Assistance uh, Centers, PTACs. I always like for them to go there and get their first section. That's the startup mode. Once these companies get to the next level, which I call level two or traction, it's because they're exactly where you said they were, Michael. They got their first contract. Probably it's a subcontract with a bigger company that said, hey, we've got some work. They asked us to bring on small business. You guys used to work with us. I'm going to bring you on and I'm going to give you two bodies on this contract. Can you handle it? And who's not going to raise their hand and say, sure, I can take care of that. So stage two is traction, meaning I have won a government contract of some description. So I've proven it can be done. Now I'm learning how to invoice it. I'm learning that I need to find other work. I'm learning that I need other people to help me. And I'm learning that I've got to have systems and compliance because the government bureaucracy is so massive. I've got to have things in place to get ready for that. So stage two is traction. And typically I'd see a company between 10 and 25, 10 and 50 people, um, typically under 5 million in sales would be at that level two. Well, at level two, what do they need from a group like RSM Federal? What advice do they need from Josh Frank and Michael Lejeune? Mm -hmm. They need to know, how do I get more subcontract work? Because that's usually the cheapest way in. They right. cannot go out and bid as a prime contractor and be successful in most cases because they don't have past performance. They don't know how to get there. They don't know how to bid. They've got to learn the ropes. And so st this, this uh, stage two traction is I got one contract. How do I get more? Right. right. Stage three. Stage three would be when they've gotten a little bit larger and because they've got 25, 50 people or whatever, they've actually started to bring in professional managers. They've actually got somebody that's working BD full time, business development full time. They'll usually have a recruiter working full time. They might have a contracts person, a human resources person. They'll usually have somebody in accounting. And that's the section that I call growth. Because what they did is they won some work last year. It's enough for them to get through the next um, several years worth of cycles. But now they're in a different stage. They don't need to be getting more subcontract work. They learned how to do that. That's how they got to stage three. Now they want to position themselves to win some prime contracts. Well, gee, you could start from anywhere with that. So most of them will start investigating. Do I want to get a GSA schedule? Do I want to start working with a um, subcontractor where the company I was priming with now becomes my sub? How do I want to do all of that? The other thing is when you get to that stage three of growth, you've got to become scalable. The trick is, until you start making money, you don't have the money to hire these external resources. You don't have the money to put in the systems. So it's almost like you're always playing catch up with this game. Do you know what I mean, Michael? Yeah, no, this, this makes exact sense. You know, and, and I can tell you a lot of the companies we talk to and you know, we go to all the conferences and, you know, we're out there in the community a lot. And a lot of the companies I'm talking to are in these first three stages. Yeah, that's a huge portion of the community right now 
they're in these three stages. They don't they don't even see those others, the other stages. I mean, it's places they want to get to. They don't know how to get there. They don't know what's going on in those stages there. And, and I see them bouncing back and forth between stage two and stage three. I see a lot of that as well. Absolutely, because they've got to get sustainable. Yeah, yeah. And and to do that, that takes the that takes really to me the number one thing that it that they have to do really well is learn how to to get more business, the whole business development, the pipeline. And I think one of the chapters that I really like the best in Josh's book is about moving opportunities through the pipeline. And if you talk to a startup, they have no idea what you're talking about. Somebody that's in stage two traction has started to make an Excel spreadsheet that they call their pipeline that lists who they're talking to, what might be coming up. But until they get to the um, growth stage, they really don't know what we're talking about, about moving stuff through a pipeline. Right, right. No, you're exactly right. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were telling me about, you know, they have about a a 20% conversion rate on their pipeline. So for every 10 deals in their pipeline, they're closing two. And so I was like, well, well, how are you replacing deals in the pipeline? Like, well, when we close one, we make sure we add at least one more deal to the pipeline, but we can't figure out why we're always in the hole. And I'm like, because when you close one deal, you can't add one to the pipeline. You have to add 10 to 20. You know, oh, absolutely. Get- and that to me is terrifying to try to figure out how to do all of those things. But it's until you start creating systems to do that, that you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, we barely have time to get this proposal out. Mm-hmm. How are we going to do the other? And it's timing too. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and there's so much of this that is basic business fundamentals. And again, when I talk to people, regardless of what industry you're in, whether you are a scientist, whether you're an engineer, whether you dig ditches, it doesn't matter. Most people really understand how to dig ditches, how to be a scientist, how to be an engineer. They really understand that, but most don't understand the fundamentals of business. They understand there needs to be a sales component. They get that. They understand proposals. They understand some of those things, but just some of the small subtleties of running a company escape them. Now, for me, I think it's better to not have a formal education in business than to go and get an MBA and think you know everything about business. You know, there's there's kind of a happy medium somewhere where you see overeducation but not enough experience. And you know, I think some of these people are easier to train when they don't have formal business experience. But again, it's it's one of those things where the lack of just some of the basics, you know, how do we hire people? How do we do the recruiting for that? How do we build a pipeline? How do we manage a pipeline? How do we, you know, fill out a proposal, you know, that makes sense, you know, and, you know, there, there's so many of those little fundamentals that I don't expect a business owner to know how to do all of those things. I expect them to build a team. But like, as you said, you know, when they're in the first mode, they don't have the money to hire a team, you know, then they get in the second mode and you start to realize all the things you didn't know you didn't know. You know, all those things start to come out. And by stage three, you know, you're really trying to figure out how to grow and ramp that up. But you've missed out on a bunch of education if you've done it really fast. You know, if you've gotten to stage three in the first two years, you know, you're still just trying to figure out how to spell government contracting, much less how to do it at that point. So 
And the frustrating part about it to me is that people say, oh, well, you're a small business in federal contracting and you have certain socioeconomic statuses. That's going to be a preference for you. It's going to make it so easy. You can go after low hanging fruit. And I go, there is no such thing. <laughs> and what I feel like is not well communicated to young companies in federal contracting is that it takes 18 to 24 months to, to develop these opportunities because the government moves so slowly, right. things get moved around, things that you might have planned on in your pipeline just get arbitrarily canceled, yep. or we have a continuing resolution, or there's some kind of funding issue. And it, it's crazy things over which you have no control. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I I think that is a that is a fair expectation to say it takes eighteen to twenty four months. One, just to educate yourself on the market and to get out there and start really prospecting. And then two, depending on the size of the deal, it may take that long. I've been on contracts that have taken four years to go from beginning to end, and that was just for the contract to be awarded. You know, and and some of these big IDIQs are in that same space where. You know, they delay putting it out. They delay putting it out. They finally get it out. There's a protest before it even really hits the street. Then it actually gets awarded. There's more protests. And you're two, three years in, and you still haven't signed a dime because that's just how long it's been. And people are so excited that they're on a $5 billion IDIQ or whatever. And I'm like, that doesn't translate to dollars. There's, there's no money there. You know, you've still got to then go out and compete. So when are they going to start dropping task orders? You know, you don't know that. And so it, it, can, yeah. it can be dragged out. Exactly. And um, there's so many ways that you have to be planning ahead how to get to the next stage. So if stage one is startup and stage two is traction and stage three is growth, the next stage I call acceleration is stage four. And the reason I call it stage four acceleration is because you've got to decide whether you're going to grow big or stay small. Hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. You know, there, there is a specific decision. Are you going to almost run a lifestyle business? Or are you going to run a business like a real business? Exactly. The reason there's a difference is what you had to understand to be competitive at stage three, which was growth versus what you have to be able to do in stage four acceleration is different. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, the companies that, that might be in the acceleration stage could be five or six years old. And um, maybe they have 50 or 100 employees. So they know how to, they've created processes to go after and earn bids and things like that. But that would be the exact time where they would have spent some time getting on these large IDIQ contracts. That's indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts. And they're real excited because they'll be, wow, that's a $100 million contract. Mm -hmm. If we even get 1%, that's great. And it, you'll be lucky if you get 1% because yeah. it's a competitive thing. It's like a hunting license, the right to bid. And yeah. you may not be in the, um, you may just may not be in the right place to make, to make that work. But the companies that have been very strategic about what they're going after planned early on how they're going to get on these contract vehicles and really what work from a program management standpoint, from a services delivery standpoint, they knew that that customer would need two years out, something like that.
And so they're positioning themselves. The reason I call it go big, grow big or, or stay small is because inside federal contracting, you have to do a certain amount of reporting and qualification on what's called a NAICS code, which is North American Industrial Classification System. And so there's limits on what's called a small business in that size standard. Sometimes it's based on headcount number of employees and sometimes on sales, but you win too many contracts in that one category, you're super successful, you're booming, but you know what? All of a sudden you're outside the small business categories and you really have to compete what's called full and open. So it's like me, Jenny Clark, competing with a Raytheon or a Boeing. Mm -hmm. And boy, that, that's a hard thing to do because they've got all the resources in the world and I've got a credit card. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter how many you have. If you don't have billions in resources, it's just very hard to compete. Right. Now, there are ways that people do compete. And part of the reason that I like working with veterans so much is because these are guys, when I, when I see them grow up and they decide I'm going to start my own federal contracting business, I'll call this guy Mitch. This is like my mentally how I visualize the guys that are doing this. Mitch has, um, he's getting ready to quit his job. He calls his buddy and says, listen, I'm going to be doing the business development. I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to run the company. I want you to be my operations guy. They've served together before. They know exactly what each one's strengths and weaknesses are. They know how to communicate. They're very dedicated to what they're doing. And these are the same two guys that have accomplished the impossible before. So why wouldn't they be able to do it in a business? And they can. Yep. I, I've definitely seen a lot of that. And again, it's one of those things where just because you've done those things doesn't mean you can repeat it in this side. I, I think being able to approach this from a perspective of, or at least as an owner, from the perspective of understanding what it takes in each area of the business to grow it so that you can bring that other person on and, and hire and start to scale the team and have some actual knowledge of what you need to hire, what skills you need, what gaps you need to fill so that you can do that. It, it it's kind of boils down to being a generalist in every area versus an expert in one area of the business when you are an owner. Because a lot of the people that do listen to this are owners or executives. Uh, so that that's kind of the, the, the flavor that I, I want to make sure we, we communicate to the folks listening today is if you're in that role and that's what's going on, you do need to be that person. You need to be a generalist who gets a little bit of everything in the business so that you can then start to focus on the scalability of it. So, Well, and I think that's so very important because when you're in this stage four acceleration, in order to grow faster, you need somebody else besides just the couple of people in business development mm -hmm. that are making the phone calls and making things happen and bringing work in and running proposal teams and all of those other pieces. And so you've got to be able to hire that person effectively. Well, the next question that comes up is if you hire a business developer, how do they know what kind of work to go after? I've right. seen so many of these companies that will hire somebody in business development who says, I can get you this kind of work. And then it turns out that's not what the owner had in mind at all. So right. at acceleration stage, you've got to be very clear about these are our core capabilities. This is the kind of work we do well with. And I think the way Josh always described it 
in the presentations he's given is talking about what kind of problems can we solve for our federal cu customer that make us unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you see this. We see this all the time and it, it doesn't matter the size of the business, but I'm always blown away when I see 50, 60, 75, hundred million dollar companies that have no plan. There's, there's no plan there. I, and if, if you're listening today and you think this is about you, it's not, it's, I've had this conversation with dozens of companies recently in the 50 to hundred million range where I asked them the question. So tell me a little bit about your business plan. And they, and they pause and they say, well, we kind of don't really have, like, we got an idea in our mind, but we haven't really put anything on paper. Like if, if you can't communicate it to me as the owner, how are you communicating it to the team? It, it means you're not. And so like you've kind of gotten where you are by luck more than anything. And so to be able to go to this next step, because I mean, this is where we start to get bogged down. We can't even make it to step seven if we can't get out of step three or four because we don't have a plan and we and we're not communicating it to the team. And like like you just brought up. We go and hire a business developer because we, in our mind, want something. We want a result, but then we bring that person on and they just start going after contracts that take us down a rabbit hole we didn't want to go down in the first place. And now we're, now we're off track, but they didn't know that. So, you know, it, it, to me, you know, it, it comes down to having that plan. Do you see that a lot too, where these big companies, and I call them big, if you're over 50 million, I think you're pretty good size, they don't have a plan. They're just kind of operating on the next contract. I think you're, you're right about that. And I think it's the nature of federal contracting. When they mm -hmm. start out, they do have a core capability someplace they're going to start. And typically they might start around an agency or a type of service. Mm -hmm. But once they've gotten in with a certain customer, they'll say, well, we're going to go back to that customer and offer some related services and we're going to hire people that can deliver those services, but we have a relationship and an understanding with this customer we can deliver. The other side of it is they might be growing based on let's go out and add new customers. And it's almost like they get to a certain point where they have the same product line with three different agencies, but because one of them is Air Force and one of them is Department of Commerce and another one is, say, um, the FAA, it's like same services, different customers, but it's such a broad, different market. They, they are kind of diversified. Hmm. And, hmm. and that's what they're looking for is, is how can they do it? So after the acceleration stage, they can go one of two ways. One is what I just call performance, which would be sitting on a lifestyle business and saying, hey, we got up to this level. We're going to maintain steady growth in this level. Um, we're not going to try to exceed the size standards because we want to stay in the small business categories and do well with that. So it's like being at the top of a, at the top of the small business categories and choosing to sit there because you can do that and you can make money doing it that way. Mm -hmm. If you want to go to the next level, you've got to be a mid tier, which is called an other than small, a mid tier contractor is almost like they're in no man's land. So they have to have, a way they're going to do their everything because how they do it as a mid-tier contractor is different than you do as a small business because you're no longer in that limited restricted small business category 
you're competing with the Raytheons and the Boeings and the GDITs of the world. And so the way you choose what goes in your pipeline and what doesn't go in your pipeline is different. The way you choose what to go after, the systems that you've got to support all of this, totally different as a mid-tier. Stage seven, by the way, is what I would just call a large prime, and that would be a large publicly held prime. But if you think about the stages, those seven stages, a lot of them are, are never going to get to stage four, five, six, or seven. And when you're in an early stage, you're stage two or three, either traction or growth, you're really not thinking about one day I'll be on a pub, on the um, New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, no, you're and, not thinking and about it's that at like, all. You know, we're, so where, what do you, what would you ask yourself? But I feel like there are definitely different things being done by companies at each one of those levels. And so my concept in working with companies is to first help them assess where they are. And so I've got a systems assessment that I take them through. So I understand what they do when they don't have built out in their company already. And then the second thing I have, I call it a benchmarking assessment where I say, okay, here's 18 or so factors that I've found. I like to understand where people are on this, where their strengths and weaknesses are. Some of them matter and some of them don't, but I want to make sure that if you tell me that you want to be the top leader working with, um, I don't know, let's say SOCON, Special Operations Command, um, obviously, I want to make sure that you have a presence in Tampa Bay. I want to make sure that you've got a facility security clearance. I want to make sure that you've got relationships established, that you know your way around, that you understand that lingo. Yeah. Or else you're not going to be successful. And it's like it's trying to help those companies move through the stages. And from your standpoint, to take a, to develop a pipeline and move that pipeline through those stages. And also to have some good business sense about what is it going to take to finance this growth? How am I going to keep my executive team together? What kind of benefits do I have to add? How am I going to be competitive on price? Because price is so important in the federal world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And, you know, I, I think to, to go back to one of your points for a moment, I think when you're at decision time and you're trying to think, you know, am I going to grow and really scale this thing up? Or am I going to stay in a, again, we're saying small business category, uh, you know, under the 50 million mark. Am I going to stay there? There's no wrong answer. Yeah, there, there really isn't. It's just a matter of as the owner, as the executive team, what do you want to do? What do you really want to do with this? Because there, there's different choices, different decisions, either direction you go. But either one is okay. And I, I see too many times where people feel like they're going to be a failure if they don't step up to the next level, like, you know, if we don't go from 50 to 75 or a hundred million, we're going to be a failure. And, you know, to me, it takes a lot of effort to maintain a $50 million company. And if it's profitable, if you're doing good work, if you're serving your customers, well, there's nothing wrong with staying in that range, doing that five, 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is. And then maybe selling the business one day or passing it down to your children or another generation. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not failure by maintaining something so big. That's a big animal that you have on your hands at that size. And 
just just to get it here is some success to maintain it is success uh, but if you want to go to the next level it requires different stuff like you said being able to go through the assessment and pick out you know what skills do we need you know what people do we need on the team how do we retain the team because one thing that I've seen with a lot of these teams is as you're growing and becoming more successful and they're meeting new people in the community, people are going to try to come steal your people. You know, that's just the way it is. You know, they want good people who've taken a company from 50 to $100 million and, they, and they're willing to pay them. They're, they're very willing to compensate them to come over and do the same thing in their company. And so how do you, how do you retain those people? Cause I think that's definitely part of the growth strategies. We've got to maintain the team because the team is probably what got you there in the first place. So some, some really, really good stuff. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about the growth model, but before we get out of here today, I want you to talk a little bit more about the conference in 2020 because just, you know, we're recording this in, in close to the end of the summer in 2019. But depending on when somebody listens to this, I want them to know a little bit more about the conference you have going on, how they can get engaged in that. Because I uh, kind of a side note here. I love the fact that you're doing this and not another organization is doing it. I, I like kind of this independent feel to a conference where you can bring in, because I've, I've seen you on LinkedIn kind of pulling people together, other experts to pull this off. And it's just, it's so amazing to see the knowledge base that's coming together. So if you want to kind of close out on anything else about the small business uh, growth model, that's great. But then I'd like you to, to kind of close up shop for us today on the conference. Okay, well, Michael, I'm glad to. We did cover what I needed to about the GovCon growth model and what we're organizing. This will be the fifth year coming up of what I call the Florida GovCon Summit. It's in Tampa Bay, March 11th and 12th, 2020. And Josh Frank was there. He did two sessions last year. And when I call people after the event to say, what was the highlight? They're like, bring back Josh, bring back Josh. <laughs> because nice. he introduced some concepts about how you run a federal contracting business as a real business, but take into account what makes you unique. So you're differentiating yourself all along. It's mm. a small conference. There's, there'll be about two, 200 people there. Um, our, we'll have two days. The second day, I focus mostly on matchmaking, bringing in some agencies from around Florida and other places. But I really like people to understand it's a national conference for small businesses and government contracting. I just happen to be running it in Florida because who doesn't want to be in Tampa in March? Exactly. No, that's great. And, and Tampa's so, uh, great. Yeah. But I think the reason that I do that is if you think about the other conferences that we go to as small businesses in federal contracting, they're usually based on a technology area or a customer area or whatever. This is about the business of federal contracting mm. and how to grow and scale your business. So we have a combination of um, ways that people can meet each other for potential teammates, ways that companies can learn from others about how did you do that? And so many of the people that attend do happen to be veterans. And part of the reason I feel like they're so useful to each other is because they're kind of used to saying, oh, here's all you need to know. Take that path. And I learned so much from the companies I work with. I'm bringing my companies, my clients, their partners to come together and really learn from each other. And I'm asking them very carefully, what do you need to know to be successful in government contracting? And let me bring that. The other part of it is we're making sure that 
for this GovCon Summit. We're also bringing people into our LinkedIn community, which right now is called Florida GovCon Community. And um, we're also launching an online coaching program called the Mitch Group so that people can be in groups together so they can learn from each other. Because I feel like we need podcasts, we need things we can read, we need conferences, we need some one-on-ones. But the main thing is if you can have a network of people that know what they're doing and your teammates and you learn how to work together, then really we elevate everybody. And that's my goal. Yeah, no, what a great goal. And, you know, for me, I I think you're exactly right. Having all of the tools together, I look at them as tools, you know, the books, the podcasts, the conferences, the the online networking, the coaching programs, all of those things are tools that are going to help your business. And any one of them will do great things for you. But when you combine all of them, it just takes things to another level. And so I'm really glad you're doing it. You know, when I look at the conference itself and the people that you've brought together to help pull this off, the, the thing that jumps out to me that maybe the average conference goer will not grasp initially is the mindset that goes behind it that gets transferred to the people that are showing up because every conference has a different flavor to it. And there's a lot of these conferences that are built on you showing up, sitting and going through as much education as possible and going 100 miles an hour and then getting on a plane and going home. And when I look at this one, it to me, it kind of like slows you down, gets you focused on all these fundamental things that you're talking about around the business of government contracting. But then it also has a mindset of engaging other people there, not just, you know, how many hands can I shake out of, you know, the thousands that could be at one of these conferences but how many quality hands can I shake? How many conversations can I have? How many people can I really truly engage and walk away with, like you said, possible teaming partners or whatever it may be? You know, I just I just see that level of, I guess the best word I could describe it is intimacy with your conference. And it's one of the things I really like about that mindset of, of really getting there, engaging and just making a difference in their business. And so I, I see that in, in what you're doing there. And so I, I really appreciate it. I thank you for putting it on and for spearheading it. I know it's so hard to wrangle all of these experts and do what you're doing. And so it's really good for the community. Thank you again for doing it. Thank you for being on the podcast today. And uh, I look forward to having you on anytime you want to be on. So you just hit me up and we'll, we'll hop on and do another episode. All right, Michael, I'm looking forward to it, too. Awesome. And if they need to have any information about how to find out about the conference, the best thing to do is type in govconconference.com. So that's G-O-V-C-O-N and the word conference.com. And they can take a look at what we've got going on. Perfect. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you again, and we look forward to having you on. Thank you, Michael. Before we take off today, I want to ask everyone a simple question. Are you feeling stuck in your government business? Do you feel like you should be winning a lot more contracts, but just can't figure out how to bust through to the next level? Do you want to accelerate your results and hit your goals faster? Does that describe you at all? If so, I have a very special offer for all of our listeners today. Visit us at rsmfederal.com slash breakthrough coaching where you can schedule your very own business breakthrough session with me you're going to walk away from the session with three things 
a copy of the award-winning government sales manual, at least three strategies to supercharge your business, and some specific answers to your biggest challenges that are out there. Now, normally these sessions run about $495, but for a limited time for our podcast listeners only, you can schedule this session at no cost to you. So that's zero cost to schedule a session with me. Simply visit rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. And you'll be able to fill out an application. So scroll all the way to the bottom of that page, fill out an application that'll come directly to me. Then I'll reach out to you. We'll get our our session scheduled and we'll walk through some of the challenges that you're having, whether it's, you know, how to grow the business, your goal setting, um, specific challenges you're having in government. This doesn't have to be just about specific to growing any business, but you're going to walk away from the session, not only understanding how to approach the government from a better perspective, but you're going to walk away with a lot of confidence on what you need to do, what next steps you need to take to supercharge your government business so you can take the next several months, the next several years to a whole new level. So again, visit us at rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. You can uh, get an overview of what Breakthrough Coaching is all about. Scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out the application that'll come to me, and then I'll schedule your session for you. And last but not least, let me take a moment here. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We really appreciate your support. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.